This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. I want to invite your attention this morning to the Word of God, the seventh chapter of the Gospel of Luke. If some of you were here 14 years and 11 days ago at this hour and paid good attention, you may take a nap for this uh, message was preached here. And I will say to those of you who say, why are you repeating it? If it didn't bear repeating, I shouldn't have preached it the first time. Luke chapter 7, and in a moment we're going to begin our reading at verse 11. Some of you have traveled to Israel, some with us, some with others, and you have stood on Megiddo and looked across the Jezreel Valley, the Valley of Armageddon, and seen three protrusions out of the earth, three we would call them hills here in the country. They call them mountains over there because things aren't so big in Israel. It's a very small place, you know, about the size of the state of New Jersey. But if you're looking across the valley, uh, you will see on your left a very rounded mound called Mount uh, Tabor, we would call it. They would pronounce it Tabor. Uh, if you look off to your right, you'll see a much more jagged and, and irregular mountain, we'll call it, Mount Gilboa. Tabor is where Deborah and Barak, uh, in the book of Judges, where they had their battle. Uh, Mount Gilboa is uh, adjacent to Bet-Sha'an, and it was at Mount Gilboa that um, Saul and Jonathan and Jonathan's two brothers lost their lives in conflict with the Philistines. And it was at Bethshan, right there at Gilboa, that their bodies were hung on the wall, their heads having been cut off by the Philistines. But right in the middle between the two, there's a smaller hill. Its name is Moreh, M-O-R-E-H. And on the left side of that hill at the bottom, there's a little, little village. There's a, an active village there today. The, the Hebrews call it Nin. Uh, we would... English letters, we would spell it N-E-I-N. In the Bible, uh, in English letters, it's N-A-I-N, and you may call it Nain, or if you like to separate uh, vowel sounds from diphthongs, you may say Nain, which is probably how the Hebrews would pronounce it. So Jesus is headed to this little town, Nain. He's coming from Capernaum, which is about 25 or so miles uh, to the northeast. He has been coming uh, over, over the day and has a, is arriving now at, at Nain. Uh, when you look at the text, in fact, let's do that. Let's read the first three verses of our text, 11, 12, and 13. And it came about soon afterwards, afterwards meaning after the miracle of uh, Luke 7, verses 1 to 10 in Capernaum, that he, Jesus, went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude, a big crowd. 
Now, as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, stop crying. I give you the um, literal rendering of that, of that expression, stop crying. And when he came up and touched the coffin, and a better word there would be stretcher or B-I-E-R, beer. And the bearers came to a halt and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited, has looked in on, looked after his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Now, when Miguel emailed or texted me a few weeks ago and asked for information about today, um, some things had not happened that have happened since then. We have, uh, in, in the days since that communication was made, and I sent him this information Uh, We have lost uh, Carol Cox and Helen Barnes, and then yesterday morning early, uh, Brother Jerry Harper. Uh, I knew none of that was going to happen when this selection was made. Jesus went to a funeral, but I think it's appropriate. I think it's fitting, and I trust the Lord will use this time together today to be a blessing to you, to the families of those who have gone to be with the Lord and the friends and to all of us as a church family. Now, our text divides kind of neatly into two paragraphs. The first of those, we're going to to entitle uh, a providential meeting. I hope you believe in the providence of God, that things don't just happen. I don't hold much with coincidence. Some years ago, I was uh, spending the night, as we call it. I think you younger people call it sleeping over. I'm going to stick with spending the night uh, with my pastor at Southside Baptist and, and his family, sleeping in their guest room. A knock came at the door pretty late, about bedtime, and it was a young preacher whom I knew from my camp days at Cherry Stone Ranch Youth Camp up near Chatham, Virginia. His name was Frank Hamrick. And Frank asked uh, Pastor Lee, he said, Bob, can I stay here tonight? I just am so sleepy. I don't think I can safely drive back to Rocky Mount. And I'll call Judy and let her know that I'll I'll be there tomorrow. And Bob said, well, Pastor Lee said, well, you'll have to share the guest room. He said, oh. He said, with, with, uh, in those days I was known as Lindy, with uh, Lindy Poteet. And Frank said, well, I know him. Uh, know, know him from, from Cherrystone Camp. And he said, that'll be fine. So this very tired man who'd been preaching all day in Virginia Beach or Norfolk or somewhere, stayed up till about 2 o'clock in the morning talking to a teenager 
who was trying to figure out God's plan for his life. He was a student recruiter for Piedmont Bible College where I spent the next four and a half years completing my education and preparing for ministry to serve the Lord. Do you think he just happened to stop by? Not a chance, not a chance. It was a providential meeting. And what happens here that we've just read together didn't just happen. When Jesus left Capernaum with those dozen men around him and probably some other disciples, and then in concentric circles, I think, further out, a larger crowd of followers, God knew exactly how long it would take for them to walk from Capernaum, 25 miles southwest to Nain, and he knew this boy was going to die and was going to be, they bury the same day in Israel if they can. If a, if a death comes late at night, they bury the next morning. And God knew exactly when that funeral procession was coming out of the town and when Jesus and his group were coming down and he had them meet before they got to the cemetery. It was a providential meeting. Watch for those in your life and look for the hand of God causing things to happen that will bless you and, and use you to bless others because they abound. They come often, more often, I think, than, than we imagine. And so let's take a look at this providential meeting. In verse 11, there's the master. I, I like to call Jesus the master. You know, he's in charge. Amen? Uh, he, at least we ought to let him be in charge. It's his job, and he's in charge whether we follow him or not. And if we don't follow him, there's a price to pay. And so here's the master, and what a, what a savior he is. What a master he is. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily of the Valley. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's all in all to all who will trust him. And if, if you haven't trusted him as your personal savior, you're missing out on the best life ever. But you don't have to. You can come to Jesus and you can trust him and become a part of this wonderful, this wonderful family. I think Jesus was a winsome character. I don't think he was a harsh, stern scowling, frowning kind of guy. People don't like to be around people like that. But Jesus is almost always surrounded by people. In fact, if he wanted some private time, he had to get up pretty early and scoot out before other people woke up or he was constantly trailed by his friends. And so here he is coming from Capernaum to Nain and there's a whole bunch, Luke doesn't tell us the numbers, we don't need to know. He just uses the term a large crowd, a, a, a huge multitude. There's all kinds of ways of, of uh, translating those words. There's a lot of people. Can you imagine? Uh, put yourself there. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go punch the clock today. I'm going to walk with Jesus wherever it is he's going. Uh, ladies, uh, you know what? It's Monday, but I'm not going to do the wash today. My husband and I are going to walk with Jesus. You're a teenager. Oh, boy, I don't have to go to school today. 
And if my sweetheart's family goes, well, we can walk along and, and talk about the things in our heart to each other and maybe hold hands and, and have some sweet time together. And little children can skip and run and jump and play and pick up rocks and throw them just not at people. Never that. Can you imagine what this crowd was like? It was a happy crowd. People were laughing and smiling and excited to be with Jesus on this journey. He was the master. And they were the multitude, the happy crowd. But in verse 12, we encounter another procession, if you please. We'll call them the mourners. We've had some mourning here lately, and I, I said to, to two this morning who've lost the other half of them how sorry I was not to be able to give more attention to them during their time of loss and grieving than I, than I did. It, it grieves me that my own circumstances these days bind me to a point where I can't do a lot of things I used to do and, and, and love to do, but, but I'm, I'm happy doing what I do. We've had some loss, and we've had some mourning crowds. We've had some groups leaving a cemetery, or leaving rather a funeral home or the church to go to the cemetery, and that's exactly what this group is. Take a look at, at verse 12. As he approached the gate of the city, a dead man was being carried out, and he was the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. I'll tell you what, that's a sad, sad situation. There had been another funeral, we don't know when, how long before, when she had lost the other half of her, her husband. And when she buried her husband with all the grief that was in her heart, she was able to say, I've still got my boy. In my old age, my son will care for me. When I need help, my son will take care of things. I remember after our father passed away how, how my brother stepped up. He lives not far from where they lived. and oh, He was great, and I'm sure other siblings, and I tried to do what I could, but I, I really tipped my hat to, to Billy. He was there. And when, when mama needed something, boy, dad, uh, 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 Billy rather stepped in and, and he just, he was, he was there. And, 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 and this lady had the same thing. She said, you know, I, I, I'm grieving, I'm mourning, I'm brokenhearted, but I've still got my boy. I've still got my boy. But not today. Not on this day. By the way, uh, we've got some, some widows in our church now and some widowers. Listen to what James wrote about um, what we need to do. James chapter 1 and verse 27. James says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. You know, these widows need care. They need visitors. You know, the dust settles, doesn't it, Louise, after a, a few days, a few weeks, and loneliness sets in, and, and people still need to come by. 
People still need to say, hey, let me come get you and bring you to my house for a meal. Let me bless you and be, and be blessed in the doing, no doubt. And so here are these mourners. There's a, there's a dead man. There's a desolate mother. There's a devoted multitude. I appreciate First Baptist Church and the way that you as a family surround those of our family who are hurting when they are hurting. You have a great heart for ministry to hurting people. Don't ever lose that. Keep going with it. And so here is this real life situation. Maybe I should call it a real death situation. These are people. A lady whose son has died and she's taking him out to the cemetery. She'll never hear his voice again. She'll never get a hug again. She'll never get a kiss on her cheek again. She'll never prepare a meal and hear him say, Mom, thank you again. She's in deep grief. But then there's a meeting. I like the meeting, verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. His heart went out to her. Does Jesus care? He does, doesn't he? Back in our Bible college days, there was a wonderful song by that title, Does Jesus Care? When my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song, is there no relief from my deepest grief, though my tears flow all the day long? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief, and here it is. The heart of Jesus goes out to this lady, and he's going to do something very unusual, something I've never done. He's going to tell a grieving widow who's just lost her only son, stop crying. Now, if I did that, that would be cruel and unkind, but not when Jesus does it. And let's move quickly from the providential meeting to the powerful miracle because it explains why Jesus could do that and still be the loving, compassionate, kind, and caring Jesus that he was and is. In this powerful miracle, first of all, there's a test. Look at verse 14. Jesus came up. He touched the stretcher. The bearers came to a halt, and Jesus addressed the corpse. Now, I have to tell you, I have talked to the remains of people whom I loved and, and knew, but I knew they couldn't hear me. That wasn't for them, it was for me, you know? But Jesus speaks to this young man, and he says, young man, I say to you, now, the verb in English looks like it's in the active tense. It's not. It's passive. Be raised up. Do you like the way Luke does that? Luke's a doctor, for conscience sake. He's a physician, the beloved physician. He knows a dead boy can't hear and a dead boy can't get up on his own. And so Jesus addresses him with an imperative that's a passive imperative. Be raised up. 
Who's going to raise him up? Jesus is. <laughs> so here's a test. Do you know how long it's been since, at least in the record, somebody who was dead came back to life? Around 900 years or so. It was uh, Elisha. You know, Elijah raised a dead person, and then Elisha raised a dead person. But he said, I want a double portion of your spirit, Elisha said to Elijah. But he only raised one dead person while he was alive. And they buried Elisha, and his bones are in a cave, and a man dies, and they don't have time to bury him, so they toss his dead body into the cave where Elisha's bones are, and he lands on Elisha's bones, and guess what? Elisha got his 16th miracle, his second raising somebody from the dead. That man came back to life. But that was 900 years ago. Nobody alive then had seen that. They'd heard about it. They'd read about it. Many of them, no doubt, believed it. But here's this Jesus who's come and said, I am Messiah. And the prophet, prophets said that when Messiah came, he would do certain things particularly work miracles. And so Jesus addresses a dead body and says, get up, be raised up. So here's the test. If that boy doesn't get up, Jesus is a fake. He's a phony. He's a fraud. And he deserves no less than to be stoned. But we don't stop with a test. We move to triumph. Verse 15, and the dead man sat up and the mother who said, I'll never hear my boy's voice again, suddenly heard him speak. Can you imagine? I expect she's crying again. She's disobeying Jesus now. If it's me, I'm crying. I can tell you that I'm about to cry now. My son is alive. Jesus is Messiah. He passed the test. He won over death. Unbidden, he came. Unasked, he acted. And he burst the bars of death for this lad and for his widowed mother. What a Savior. Don't we have a great Savior? Oh, my goodness. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Listen, when he saved you and saved me, he did a better thing than this. This boy died again later. But when he saved me, I'm going to live forever. Amen? I'm going to die no never. Jesus died on the cross for me, and I'm going to live forever. Now, this body may shut down one day in what we call death, but understand when it does, I'm just moving out and moving up. Better than George Jefferson. I'm moving all the way up. The triumph he gave him back to his mother. You know, Elijah had done that. First Kings chapter 17. Elijah took the child he has raised him from the dead and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Now, I love verse 24 
of 1 Kings 17. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Do you know that the primary purpose of miracles in the Bible was that they were credentials? Credentials for the miracle worker as God's man with God's message. This woman spelled it out clearly. And when Jesus raised this boy from the dead, they should have recognized this was not just a prophet, which is what they said, but that this is Messiah. And then verses 16 and 17 conclude our passage. The testimony. People stood in awe of this thing. Fear gripped them all. Has fear ever gripped you? This, there's a couple of words in the, in the Greek language, at least, for receiving something. There's one word that would be like, I would receive Brussels sprouts. Okay. But a Hershey bar with almonds? I would receive it like this. <laughs> and I'll get, grab it. That's this word. Fear gripped them. They were held in the grip of fear. And they began glorifying God, saying, and they were right in what they said. They just didn't go far enough. A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him. Notice, this is all about Jesus now. It's not about the boy. The boy and mama, they're going back home. She's going to fix him some lunch. I bet he got his favorite meal. What do you expect? But it's not about the boy anymore. A great prophet, God, the report of him all over Judea and the surrounding district. It's now, it's become about Jesus. And you know what? It still is. And our testimony should be about Jesus. I think the greatest testimony of Jesus is a changed life. But you know, to that changed life, we must add conversing lips. People don't get saved looking at your life, right? I wish that gospel songwriters would run their lyrics by their pastors before they record and publish. There's a, there's a popular southern gospel song now called Live the Gospel. I don't know how to live the gospel. I know how to live as one who's been changed by the gospel, but I have to speak the gospel. Faith comes not by watching. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, the word of Christ. And so your testimony and my testimony are how people are going to get to know Jesus. These folks did it right. They carried the news of Jesus all over the place. Amen? And by the way, if the Lord lays somebody on your heart to go and, and share your faith with, be promptly obedient. You don't know how long that person will be available to you to share your faith. So go and tell, and go and tell now what Jesus has done for you. That's really all people need to hear. Jesus died for you and rose again, and when you trusted him, he began to change your life. And you know what? He'll change theirs too.
And you and I have such an awesome responsibility. I want to wrap up with this thought. No one is ever too far gone for Jesus. I think the three resuscitations, we'll call them, that Jesus performed, uh, the, the, the little girl and then the young man, and not necessarily in that order. I think this man was first, and then the little girl, and then Lazarus. The little girl was still warm. Her body was still warm. So she wasn't very far gone when Jesus raised her. This boy was dead and being carried out to the cemetery. He was a little farther along. No problem for Jesus, huh? Lazarus, how many days was he dead? Now you're good Bible students and you have, you have voices. Let me do it again. How many, how many days was he dead? Oh, that's good. In fact, his sister said, Lord, not a good idea. Putrefaction has set in. Don't have him move that stone. No problem for Jesus. Listen, nobody's ever too far gone for Jesus to save them. Amen? I was saved uh, as, as a young man. I wandered in sin from sandbox to playground until at the tender age of 13 I met Jesus. <laughs> my sins were uh, disrespecting my parents and maybe telling fibs about the dog in my homework, um, mishandling money, well, whatever. But I've watched God change the lives of drug addicts, alcoholics, adulterers, profaners, and clean them up. Nobody's ever too far gone for Jesus. Amen? So let your testimony go where it will go. And understand, God can save anybody. All they have to do is believe. Trust Jesus. Have you done that? He is my Savior. Is he yours? If he is, hallelujah. We're members of the same family. If he's not your Savior yet, he wants to be. He died for you. He loves you. Will you trust him? We'd love to help anyone in this room, anyone under the sound of this message later by recording. We'd love to help you to get to know Jesus. Just acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again and call on him to save you. I think that was ABC. And he'll save you today. And if we can help you with that, by all means, we want to. Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful music that has enabled us to lift our eyes and our voices heavenward and, and worship you who alone are worthy of worship. We thank you for the fellowship of the saints that is so sweet and so precious. We thank you for the word of God that, that speaks to our hearts and, and blesses us and will allow us to speak to others and bless them. And so we ask you, Father, in these closing moments, 
We ask you please to work in people's hearts and if there are folks here who need to respond to a gospel invitation, would you bring them forward? If there are Christians here who have been too quiet too long and they need to make a commitment today to open up their mouth and, and confess Jesus in testimony, oh Father, I pray that you would lead them to do that. So have your way in every heart and every life. We pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.